Um, I got surprised by an Oprah camera crew. A week later, I was on Oprah and Oprah gave me like a side hug. No Chance walked into the room like a few weeks into working on the project and ended up asking if he could put it on his album and it was all we got with Kanye. He wins a Grammy, I won a Grammy because of it. It was insane. Hey everyone, it's your host Richie Burke and welcome back to this episode of Milwaukee Uncut. Today we have Grammy Award winning musician Grace Weber, who was nice enough to drop by the studio while she was in town performing at the Pabst. She's got some mind-blowing stories from going on Oprah while she was in college to collaborating on multiple songs with Chance the Rapper to getting signed and eventually parting ways with Capitol Records. She's even got her own mural in Milwaukee and a new album, Paper Flower, that recently came out. Also want to give a shout out to her amazing dad and Milwaukee legend Ralph Weber raw web who was in the studio for this recording it was it was great seeing him big fan of that guy before we dive in just a reminder that milwaukee uncut is produced by Storymark studios right in the heart of walker's point in partnership with on milwaukee and sponsored by central standard distillery i did go to the central standard craft house for dinner before grace's concert when she was in town had a nice date night with Bree. Highly recommend the Craft House, then going to an event combo. Had a great time. And some more Milwaukee Uncut news. We've decided to bring on another sponsor. We are now capped for sponsors, but excited to bring this one on. Nicolet Law, Fear the Beard. The guy on the billboards, he's a, he's a real human being. Russell Nicolet, he's not just a cartoon. I had some conversations with him and learn more about his brand, what he's building, and we are excited to announce Nicolet Law as a new sponsor of the Milwaukee Uncut Podcast. We'll have some fun segments with him in the future. Thanks again for tuning in today. Let's dive in with Grace Weber. So born and raised in Milwaukee, Wauwatosa, I honestly, like, I don't even remember when I started singing. Like, I feel like I was singing around the house by the time I was like three. My dad can attest. My siblings, you know, I'd be singing in the shower like constantly before school and like taking up the shower time, you know, of like needing to get ready for school. And I'm just in there like, la da 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 da. And they're like, stop singing. I need to get in the shower. So it's just been like a part of who I am since forever. And my grandpa is super musical, was super musical. Um, he had 10 kids. My mom is one of 10. My dad is one of nine. So I have like literally, I think I have 70 cousins with all of their married um, partners. Wow. So, but yeah, so all my aunts and uncles learned instruments growing up. So Christmases and Thanksgiving was always singing around the piano. So it was always, you know, music was a part of my family um, growing up experience. And then when I was uh, nine, eight, nine, I, uh, performed for the first time at my school talent show. I went to St. Jude's and I'm sang a Celine Dion song, actually peed in my pants a little bit, which was a very exciting moment for a seven-year-old. No one knew, but it was a, a moment that I recovered from for, through a lot of therapy. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> but just, yeah. You just hope no one notices. Yeah, no, I was like, if I can get through that, I can get through anything, you know, as a, I was like, it okay, now I can sing It is good to overcome adversity exactly, at a young age. at a young age. But uh, I sang a Celine Dion song and my teacher came up to me afterwards and she was like, she was crying. And I was like, why are you crying? Oh my God. And she was like, your song and your voice moved me. And I just remember it sort of being this like aha moment of, whoa, like music is really powerful. And from there, you know, 
I sang national anthems in the city at the Panther Arena and, you know, the Bucks Arena or Bucks Stadium and everything. Um, and I joined the Central City Youth Choir here, which is a huge moment for me, like where I really um, discovered myself as a singer and what I loved about performing because in the gospel choir, it's very interactive. So, you know, you're singing and the audience, the people, you know, in the church are singing right back with you and they're saying, yes, go do and that's just what I loved and love about performing. I really like, you know, getting the audience to sing with me and, and getting, you know, to know them throughout the show. So, yeah, Milwaukee, Milwaukee is my home. It's where I literally became the singer and the person that I am. Did you go to college or did you just start singing right away and know you wanted to do this professionally? Yeah, I mean, I knew I wanted to do it professionally, but I did go to school. Um, I went to NYU and um, I was in the musical theater program my freshman year. And then I realized that, you know, musical theater wasn't really want what I wanted to do. So I switched into Gallatin at NYU, which is like the music. Well, actually, Gallatin, you can make any any major that you want. And so I made a major around like music business and visual art and singing. Um, and going to NYU and living in New York was a huge part of my development to being able to be a professional singer and artist because... At the end of high school, like I wasn't ready for that. I didn't know myself yet. I I wouldn't have been able to handle the industry and all these things. And so college was super important for me. And it's where I, you know, started performing in New York at all these cool venues and just starting to like I had my first band and started writing music. And it was just such a, you know, my development was it, I wouldn't be here today with not like living in New York and going to NYU and just becoming who I am. What was that yeah. like going from Milwaukee to being a, in your late teens, early 20s, performing at, I'm guessing, kind of hole-in-the-wall venues in New York City, but it must have seemed so cool. Oh, yeah, it was so cool. I remember the first week I was there in New York, I called my mom, like, crying, and I was like, I can't do this. New York is, like, so intense or whatever. And she was like, you know, just dig into it. You got this. And so once I sort of like committed to being a New Yorker and like really like digging my feet into the city, like I loved it. I love New York. I loved living there. And yeah, I performed at the Bitter End in the West Village. That was like one of my first cool performances when I was in college. And it's a legendary venue. Um, it's very like gritty. You know, it's it's all these cool performers that perform there. It's one of those bars, you know, you walk in it like it smells like beer, but it just like feels so good, you know. And um, yeah, it was so cool to start feeling like, OK, I can do this as an original artist, you know, someone who's writing their own music. I think up to that point, I had had so many cool experiences as a singer, um, you know, singing on Oprah and show Timothy Paul and all these cool things. But living in New York and performing at these venues was where I was like, oh, okay, I can be an artist. Like, I can really do this um, outside of just being a singer. So, yeah. You just glossed over performing on Oprah, <laughs> yeah, which is good, kind, kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> was that while you were in college or uh -huh. when did that happen and how did that come about? Yeah, it was crazy because Oprah, um, so she had this episode, you know, where at the end of the episode, she was like, I'm doing a karaoke challenge. It's called Oprah's Karaoke Challenge. I want you to apply, go to the website, you know, upload a video of you singing, and you might get a chance to be on the show. And so my friends were like, you got to do it. You should do it. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. 
So I uploaded the video of me singing Natural Woman, Aretha Franklin. And I remember even when I hit the upload button, the like, website kind of like glitched or something. I didn't even know if it was for what, sure like went through. Yeah, yeah, I guess it was, yeah, like 2009 maybe. And so I didn't even know if it went through. I was like, hey, well, whatever. Um, and then a few weeks later, um, I got surprised by an Oprah camera crew in the subway, uh, New York City subway system. And they were like, you're going to be on Oprah. There were all these like lights and stuff. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like I'm going to be on the Oprah Winfrey show. And then a week later I was on Oprah and Oprah gave me like a side hug and it was amazing and like completely terrifying and uh, life-changing and, and all the things. Yeah, it was You didn't cool. know it was coming? There was just a camera crew in the subway? There was a camera crew. Well, my... Waiting for you? Yeah. My college roommate got contacted by the show because I, I had to put like two contacts in there and I think it was probably my parents and maybe they called my roommate. I don't really remember exactly how it worked, but they set up the surprise through her. And so actually she like walked me to the subway because she wanted to get like lunch or something. And right before we went down the stairs, she was like, okay, listen, I have to tell you, like, like, like there's like an Oprah camera crew down there. <laughs> I was like, what? Are you serious? <laughs> he was like, yeah, you got picked for that thing. And so I like was kind of prepared for it, but also like even more like, oh, oh my God, how the heck am I going to handle this? And, but yeah, it was, it was incredible. It was funny, fun, random, yeah. amazing, all those things. How nerve wracking was that going on there? It was terrifying. Like it was my first big performance like that, like on a TV show like that, like Oprah Winfrey. And, you know, I was on all the like local news stations here doing interviews. Um, and, you know, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus was one of the coaches, Gladys Knight, Ashford um, and Simpson. And uh, it was it was also like a karaoke challenge. So they were like judging you and they picked winners and stuff at the end. And How so many people and coaches got on this thing. Um, there were like, I want to say 13, 12, 13 of us from around the country. And they actually gave us names like there was like the cowboy, the Midwestern girl. I was the Midwestern <laughs> girl. <laughs> that, was, that was your nickname? That was my nickname, literally. The Midwestern, the Midwestern girl. girl. Nice, So nice. like my face. Very like, creative. Yes, I know, right? I was like, and they, that my backstory was very Midwest. It was like, you know, she basically like I grew up on a farm, even though I did not grow up on a farm, but they, they really, uh, you know, honed in on that. But Did yeah, Rolf was, make an appearance in the trailer? Ralph? Yeah, Ralph. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ralph made an appearance on the show. He was in the audience with my mom. You know, they panned to the to the parents. You have to have the parents moment. And they were very proud. What very do your happy. friends call him again? Raw Web. Okay. I went Raw Alf, which was incorrect. So yeah, I got raw, that. Web. raw Web. I like it's it. Like, raw Web. He's just, he's the boss. That's what they... <laughs> they think he's just they think he's like just such a baller he has that energy we can mic him up if we need to and bring, <laughs> no, just, bring him off the bench in here. Um, so you got on there you didn't you did not make it through but you still walked away with like 25 grand right? yeah that was the other crazy thing is that at you know, that age that's pretty sweet it was nuts and we were surprised <laughs> you know like so we i made it through like the first round and and uh when we did the moment of like you know say goodbye to this these guys whatever she was like and i have a surprise for you and she's like, you each are getting $25,000. And someone walked out with a check, the $25,000 check in their hand. And we were all like, what the hell? Like, it was insane. And it definitely was like, not that it wasn't worth it before that. Like, it was incredible. But then that moment, like, 
the level was already here. I didn't think that it could go up. And then it went like, you know, $25,000 above that. Um, and I wrote Oprah a thank you note for the money. I don't know if she ever got it, but I was like, dear Oprah, thank you for the experience and giving me $25,000. I, I think I sent it to like the um, Oprah network, you know, if you're watching I'm Oprah. Sure, I'm sure she has it. Yeah. Some, someday somewhere. we're going to meet. She's be like, oh, you're the one that wrote me the thank you note. Yeah, it's framed. That's very nice of you. You know, you're supposed to write a If someone gives you 25 grand, you should write them a nice thank you card. Yeah, I was raised raised well. What did that do to your career right after? Did you get the flood of attention that people think you get after you appear on a show like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a lot of pressure that I don't think I was like ready for at that point because Where are you in school? Are you like a junior in I was that school a at that point? Junior or a senior. Um in so You're still going to classes, you're Yes. Not, yeah. yeah. And like people in my class were like, you know, you were on Oprah. Like my teachers were like, this is the girl that was on Oprah. So, and it kind of became like a, not like a stick at all, but it was just like, like you're on Oprah. It's just such like yeah. a, a, a random, amazing thing. Um, and so, yeah, I did like label meetings. I met with um, Universal and I had like managers kind of coming out of the woodwork and it was amazing because it gave me like this lesson, life lesson of like my first introduction introduction to the industry but it was also kind of this learning moment of like okay like this is intense and like how do you get yourself in the right headspace and like you know art space and heart space and all these like you know physical and mental spaces to be able to handle that um yeah and it was so fun and that kind of launched everything from there that's how I you know started uh, a real career and got a team around me and yeah it was awesome yeah and how did your career progress from there um from there I mean one of the the big like turning points for me was when I met the social experiment um chances production crew so it was Nate Fox Nico Siegel and Peter Cottontail and they produced uh acid rap by chance which was like his first really big project that he put out um maybe this was in 20 15, I think he put that out. And I heard the project. And the first song on the project is called Good Ass Intro. And it's like this gospel, um, gospel choir uh, sounds with like hip hop and R&B and like everything that I was tr hoping to put into my music and trying to figure out, you know, how do I incorporate like gospel sounds, not in a religious way, but like just that those types of choral sounds with the R&B thing that I want to do and with like a current, a current sound too. Like I think up to that point I had really been doing more of like an old school soul thing, kind of like Adele or like um, really trying to find my sound that was like who I am as an artist. And so when I heard Good Ass Intro on Chance's, you know, project, I was like, who are these producers? This is who I want to work with. This is who I want to develop my sound with. Like, I don't want to sound like anyone else except for me. So I put some feelers out and I was like, do you guys, does anyone know like the social experiment, you know, Nate Fox, whatever. And none of my friends knew them. So I kind of just like put it out into the universe. And a few months later I was in LA and a buddy of mine texted me and he was like, Hey, I'm going to the studio. Um, if you want to come through, like, here's the address, whatever. He didn't say who was there. And I was so tired. And I was one of those days where I was like, uh, should I go? Should I go to bed? Whatever. And then I was like, no, you gotta go. You, you gotta rally. So I went and I met these guys 
Nate and Nico, and I didn't really know what they looked like. They were just kind of this, like, the social experiment. And it was kind of a little, this was, like, 2015 when I met them. And so, like, Instagram wasn't that big of a thing. Like, um, and so I didn't, and Nico went by Donnie Trumpet at the time. So I just, like, didn't put it together that I was meeting the guys that I had been wanting to meet this whole time. And so they pulled up this track. It was amazing. Like, this, it just sounded so good. And I was like, hey, can I sing on this? Like, let me get in the, in the booth and sing. So I got in the booth. I sang. Like, it was so dope. Like, it sounded amazing with uh, me on the track or whatever. And so I got out of the booth. And the guys were like, yo, you're so dope. Like, who are you? Whatever. And, you know, told them who I was. And I was like, who are you? Like, what do you guys do? They're like, oh, we go by the social experiment. I'm like, no way. <laughs> I was like, I've been trying to meet you guys. This is crazy. <laughs> And so then, like, I literally asked them, I was like, do you want to produce an album with me? And they said yes. And so that was really a huge moment because not only did it, you know, help me develop my own sound, but, you know, Chance walked into the room, like, a few weeks into working on the project, and he heard a song that we were working on for my album and ended up asking if he could put it on his album, and it was all we got with Kanye, West and so all of a sudden like I'm on Chance the Rapper's project like he wins a Grammy I won a Grammy because of it and then you know all this buzz was around me and all these because the social experiment and Chance were so buzzy and whatever and you know I released a song from that project in 2017 that John Mayer tweeted and it kind of went viral and then I got signed to Capitol and all these things so it was like that moment I think like Oprah, Show Timothy Paolo like all these going to NYU, like performing at the bitter end, all these things were preparing me like for that moment. And I think when that happened, I was so ready to step into that and just was so happy. Like I loved it so much. I think before that I was kind of scared, you know, like I didn't want to be too vulnerable or, you know, get like booed off the stage or whatever. <laughs> and then when I was in my mid twenties, you know, I was like, okay, cool. Like I got this, I know who I am. And I feel confident to do this, yeah. Were you in shock at all when this was happening or did you feel like you belonged? What was that like? I felt more like I belonged, like, cause it was, it was really magical. Like being in that studio when Chance was working on Coloring Book and when those producers were just so in their zone creatively, like they were the type of guys I had never met anyone like them. Like the producers that I had been working with up to this, up to that point were sort of like older producers, um, people who had worked on like Joss Stone projects or like, or like not Adele literally, but that type of like, um, that type of artist. And so, yeah, they were kind of in their like late fifties, early sixties. And so the vibe in the studios were always, you know, chill. It was usually in like pretty big professional studios, sort of like a high pressure situation. Um, not like the most loose. And when I met Nate and Nico, the studio that I walked into LA, in LA was uh, like filled with weed smoke. Like you just walked in and you're like, like <laughs> and I was like, okay. And like every, there was like a ton of people chilling in there just yep. smoking. Like, and I remember just kind of sitting on the couch and being like, okay, this is cool. The Midwest girl. Oh, for yeah. sure. I was yeah. totally Living the Midwest up to your girl. Name. Oh, big time. Like I had never been in like that cool of a setting before. And uh and Nate, you know, up to that point, like when I was in the studio, you come with a song prepared and then you record it. 
But with Nate and Nico, like we were making the song as making the project together as we went along. And so when we the first day when we got started, he just handed me a, a mic. I was sitting on the couch and this was their studio is like this really cool um, space, like a house, basically. Um, and he just handed me the microphone and was like, yeah, just start singing when you feel like it. <laughs> so they'd pull up this beat and I'd start singing. And and so they were just in their like creative high point chance was just like killing it. Everybody was so a part of this moment of like, you know, chance is going to win best new artist. Like it just, everything was happening. And so being there, like I felt like I was supposed to be there at that moment um, because of just how like, I don't know. It was just so magical. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then you get signed to Capitol. Yeah. To yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. Capitol was awesome. I actually like, so I got signed in 2018 and it was a pretty crazy process because so they were interested in me because um, this song went viral when uh, John Mayer tweeted it and all these things. And like, because I had just won the Grammy and, and the social experiment guys were like probably some of the biggest producers at that time. And you still don't have your debut album out at this point, right? Correct. You yeah. just were collaborating with the social experiment. Were you putting out your own music as well on top of that? I was- had put out some stuff like a few years ago, but then I took it down because it wasn't really like who I wanted to be as an artist. Yeah. It was sort of like that exploratory phase. And so I didn't really have anything out at that point. So, so what, when, are, what are you yeah. listed at? As a, was, on like chances, this may be a dumb question oh, no, no, no. music wise. I'm just curious. Um, writer. Got and it. Okay. I sang on it too. So you, if you like listen to it, you'll writer, hear Writer, vocalist. Yeah. Writer, vocalist. Okay. Yeah. Um, and if, and by being that, because he won, um, I think he won best new artist and best hip hop album, but, uh, you get a Grammy because you're part of the project. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So Capital, you know, they were interested you know, they started hitting up my manager and like the conversation began. And then they like the head of A&R from Capitol came to see me live. He loved it. And then, you know, the process began of like, we want to sign her. And I ended up officially signing in like the summer of 2018. And it was really cool. It was crazy. I mean, it was like definitely the next level. When the first meeting that I had with the label, there's like, you know, 10 people sitting in a circle talking about, you know, your project and what, and at that point I had the project like almost ready to go. So they had heard the whole album. Chance was on the project. Um, we had West Side Boogie on the project, like some huge features. And so and Vic Mensa was on it. And so for them, that was also really exciting that they just loved the album. And that's really why I got signed is because they were excited to put it out. And yeah, it was, it was crazy. You know, you get a big advance, you get all these like fancy people around you. And, and I think it was a learning experience because it really showed me like, okay, this is how the major labels work. Mm-hmm. And I loved it actually. Like the harder times for me around that time was I was kind of like switching up my own team. And so going through that was kind of like the trial, I guess, in that time. And being on Capitol was really cool. And when they ended up dropping me, it was in 2019, and it was just because we put out one song with Vic. It didn't really do that well. And they were kind of like, you know, we could keep investing in this, and you might be, like, shelved, or we don't know what's going to happen because the first song didn't, you know, the return wasn't as big as we wanted to it to be based on the investment. And they're like, so we think it would be better for you to, like, 
go your own way and we'll give you back your master's, which was also insane, like very unheard of that they gave me back my master's after paying for the mixing and mastering and like the advance and all these things. So that was so cool. Yeah, that's a classy move. Yes, it was amazing. So that's I what the whole Taylor Swift yeah. feud is about, right? Yes. She didn't have that. A hundred percent. If they hadn't given me back my master's, I wouldn't have been able to release the album with chance. Like that whole first project would just be sitting in a box in Capitol. So for them to do that was huge. And I'm so grateful. And that's why I only have good things to say about Capitol. Really cool people who worked there, super supportive and just like incredible that they believed in me enough to give me back my master's, I think was pretty cool. Hey guys, it's your host, Richie Burke. I just wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Central Standard Distillery. As I mentioned in the intro, Brie and I went to the Craft House before the Grace Weber concert. Brie thinks their fries are like McDonald's, but better. There's no higher compliment that she could potentially or possibly pay to a restaurant. They are good. Their old fashions are good as well. So if you're looking for a nice date night spot, I highly recommend Central Standard. Or if you're just looking to get after it a little bit and have a good time, highly recommend going with Central Standard wherever you purchase your alcohol. Also, got some really nice Milwaukee uncut hats coming in. Not not like cheap ones, like legitimately nice ones. Our friend Ryan from AKA Custom Lids created. So if you do subscribe and you leave a review, we are picking one person a week and sending one of these out to just leave your Instagram handle or your email at the end of the review and we will reach out to you if you are the one randomly selected. All right, let's get back into the episode with Grace Weber. The album is out. <laughs> Listen to it. It's, I love it. I love it. It's all love songs. I haven't really written a lot of love songs up to this point. And I wanted to make a project that was all love songs, different points of view on love. Um, there's a self-love song, song about my husband, who's also from Wisconsin, Madison. We met at summer camp when we were 13, Camp Minicani, shout out. Um, and yeah, I love it. I'm so happy. It's doing really well. We have amazing people on the project, work with amazing people. Um, yeah, I love it. So you, you met your husband when you were 13. Yeah. When did you start dating? When you were in college? Did I, uh, I did some homework on... Freshman on year. your life, obviously, yes. before the interview. but <laughs> uh, Yeah, freshman year we started dating. We went to prom together, though, senior year of high school. Nice. But when he walked in the room, like, at summer camp, you know, I remember it was, like, slow motion, like, seeing him walk into the dining hall and just being like, who is that boy? Like, just instantly in love. <laughs> but, yeah, so I had a crush on him forever. And then in high, senior year of high school, I was like, I've always had a crush on you. And he was like... I've always had a crush on you. And then the rest is history, you know. Nice. How, how hard is it maintaining a relationship in your 20s in the industry you're in? Yeah. Honestly, it is hard unless you date someone like my husband who is so trusting, chill, like so supportive of my dreams. Like he just never, ever, ever wanted to hold me back from anything. You know, whether I was in, I, w I would stay in LA when I was working on the project for like a couple months and he never made me feel bad. Like he was just always so trusting, supportive and loving. And, you know, I was like that to him as well. And so because we just had this friendship and partnership, you know, we were able to, to do that. But I, it is hard because you're around, you know, so many people all the time. The studio can be sort of like, wild you know lots of like in your 20s like lots of 
I didn't smoke, but I would always get contact high because they all smoked yeah. <laughs> so much. They smoked a lot. Um, but yeah, so yeah, for me, it was it worked because the person that I'm with was. Does he have a traditional amazing. job? Uh, yeah, he's a creative director. Okay. Yeah, so cool. he is uh, works with you know Google and other companies working on their uh, like video work and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. He was so supportive and understands like that lifestyle, especially someone outside or who does not have that. Yeah. 100%. I think that's pretty, pretty rare. Um, yeah. What What would you say the single biggest break you've had in your career has been? Hmm. Was it Oprah? Um, no, it, it was the chance stuff. Yeah. Like that was, that was huge because and Oprah so it was, it was yeah. serendipitously showing up to the studio when you didn't want to show up. If you never did that, that never would have happened. A hundred percent. It's a good and, lesson yeah. to people to show up. That's and that's what I say. There, I met some kids last night um, at the. That might be. Is that Raw Web? Raw, Raw Web. Web. Raw web, right in the middle of a good right story. Right in the middle of, a, I was just about to pour my heart out. When you're when you're a boss, you can do that. When you're the a rule, boss, the rules don't apply the to rules you. Don't apply. Okay, so you <laughs> you were with some kids last and night. The, a girl came up to me. She's like, "I want to be a singer. How do you get started? Like, what do you do?" Da, da, da. And I was like, "Honestly, like, it's showing up. You know, like putting yourself in positions to be there, like when lightning strikes, because there's so much that you can't control in the industry, like." You can do everything right, and you can't quite get to the places that you want to. Um, but if you just like trust, you know, like I put a video up on Oprah's thing just because, like, okay, you know, and that led to this huge thing, or you know, I went to the studio and that led to this, and so I told her, like, you know, you um, hitting me. She was a string player. She was like, you even talking to me right now, like asking me questions. Like now I know what you want to do if I'm in Milwaukee, like maybe I need some cello on a song. I'll think of you because you came up to me and we know each other now. You'll come in the studio. Maybe, you know, Chance the Rapper will be there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're on this huge album. So it's all about just like putting yourself out there and being willing to take risks to like, you know, fall on your face and just be okay with that and get back up and, and uh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I've gotten a a number of clients showing up to events that I did not feel like showing up to and you meet some person that leads to something else. And mm -hmm. yeah, sh showing up is very important. What would you say the biggest struggle that you've ever had in your career has been that you've had to overcome? Um, like not feeling good enough or feeling like I am trying to make it in this like on this level that I don't even know what that means you know I, like I feel like in the industry there's such a thing of like you make it or you don't make it and so when you're growing up there's this concept of making it and it's sort of this like ethereal thing that's like okay at some point I'm gonna feel like I made it because I'm doing xyz and I think because you're so focused on that which maybe it's you know singing to a sold out you know, 5,000 seater venue, or maybe it's, you know, like singing on Oprah could have been a made it moment for me, but I was so focused on like, I don't know, this feeling that I was supposed to feel of like making it that I forgot to like embrace every single moment that was very special in that moment. And, you know, Oprah was actually a, a big moment where I realized that because I was so nervous to be on the show that I kind of like 
blacked out, not really literally, but I barely remembered it. And I was like, I don't want that to happen again where like I'm in a situation and I can't really remember it because I'm so like scared to mess up. Um, but yeah, so I just really focus, keep reminding myself like, you know, last night was a moment that I want to remember and I want to cherish and like, I don't want to judge it as being, you know, good or bad. Like I just want to be in the moment with it. And I think trying to getting over that, you know, and like getting over your ego kind of of like, oh, like if so this many people show up, like, does that mean that I'm not good enough or da da da? Like just letting go or like if I don't get this award or whatever, like letting go of all of that stuff is what has helped me just fall in love with music and with being an artist. And so that was a process. It's still a process of getting over. Yeah. I'm sure I want to dig a little deeper into that because you're in such a kind of high trigger environment hmm. for that where every piece of content you put out, you're getting judged by how many views it has, how many people show up to your shows. It's just the nature of it. And yeah. there are real consequences if you don't get a lot of views like getting dropped or if you get mm -hmm. a ton of views and new opportunities can open up. So that stuff does matter, but it's not healthy to pay, yeah. pay attention to it or totally. keep clicking refresh, yeah. which I'm sure is really easy to do. Oh, yeah. What What do you do? I also, um, not to go on a tangent, but I was listening to your podcast episode with Charlie on his Crouch oh, yeah. cast, which would have been probably two and a half years ago at yeah. this yeah. point in time. But you talked about mental health and doing um, meditation mm -hmm. and Buddhist chanting and yeah. stuff, <laughs> stu stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I'm just curious how you manage that because it is it is a real thing especially in your industry and in a lot of people's work lives even they're they're getting judged on output and metrics and yeah I mean it's really tough like Instagram I think has done a number on all of our mental health because like it's like you're getting likes and, and you, like and you you start like tracking your self-worth based on like how many likes you get on a post and like it can feel, especially when you put so much effort into a post or something, and then you feel like it didn't get received or people didn't like it. Like, it's it's so sad that, like, social media has done that to us. There's also, like, so many beautiful things about social media. Obviously, for careers have been made, you know, beautiful stories are told, but the negative sides are, are really hard to, to get over. And I think, like, for me at the beginning of my tour, I was really stressed because ticket sales weren't as high as I wanted them to be. Like, I was super nervous to let the venues down. Like, I didn't know if, uh, yeah, like if it was gonna be good enough. And at the first show, I felt sad and it wasn't like, I wasn't in this mindset of like loving being on stage. And in the same way that the Oprah thing was this turning point of like, I don't ever want to not remember a special moment. The first night of the tour, after I got off the stage, I was like, I don't want to like not enjoy this. I don't want to like not have fun. I don't want to not give myself 100% to the audience. So what do I need to do mentally to like get in a space where I can be more present and be happy and have fun? And so for me, it was like a practice of switching the mindset from like, you know, how can I control people getting in the room and like all these things that don't really matter to like, you know, what can I control? And that's actually letting go. Like I can just let myself let go. I can, you know, meet people who told me, you know, your song got me through breast cancer or DMs where it's saying, um, you know, someone told me my life is in pieces right now and getting to 
be at your show for an hour, like gave me a break and showed me that I can make it through. And so focusing on that was like so freeing and it makes you realize like every single person that you can touch um, and who can touch you, that's what matters, not like how many likes you get. And that is a practice. Like Buddhism has helped me with that for sure. Like yeah. to desire nothing is the the art of life or something. But yeah, it's a process. It's uh, focusing on just like what you love, you know, instead of everything else and, and practicing that I think is the biggest thing. Yeah. Also, my, I always tell people this for performers, like there's this thing that you can do where you like check after the show to see if it was good enough. Like, oh, what did you think? Like, was it good? Did that, did I do that one part? Did you notice when I'm I messed sure. that up? Da, da, da. And I used to do it in my twenties and I realized that there was a moment where someone was like, oh, I thought it was really good. You didn't think it was good. And then I kind of was like, oh, I took away your experience from the show. Kind of like, like you thought it was, you had an amazing experience with it. And now I'm coming and sort of telling you all the things that I'm overthinking and I'm kind of taking away from your experience at the show. And so I stopped doing that. I stopped checking if the shows were good enough. Like mm -hmm. I just walked off stage and I was like, okay, cool. I did that. That was like an hour. That was really fun. And now I move on to the next thing. And because of that, I started enjoying the show so much more because I knew I wasn't going to overthink it afterwards. Yeah. And I could take in people's reactions better. Like I would, you know, meet people after, after the show and they'd be like, you were amazing. I loved it. And I'd be like, thank you. Yeah. Instead of, are you sure? You know, it's just a different way of experience or like experiencing the before and after shows. And that has been, if you're a performer and you are looking for a breakthrough, that has changed my life to just say thank you to, to just, wake up yeah, in the morning. That's and, a lot of why you yeah. got into it in the first place yeah, exactly. too. And it's, it's tough when you're doing it for a living and mm -hmm. numbers matter and how many people show up matters, but it, yeah. it can take away from it. We have a, um, a performance consultant coming on in a couple of weeks. His name's Raymond Pryor. He works with a lot of top musicians and athletes and his whole thing too is like acceptance and letting go. If you can accept any outcome, then you're going to go out there and perform a lot better, whether it's sports or you're going on stage. And I found that valuable opposed to just yeah, worrying about the the outcome while you're doing it. A hundred percent. Well, and last night, like the mic didn't work when I walked on stage. I was gonna ask you about that. <laughs> you handled like, you handled it yeah, so well because it's like I, I just like, <laughs> yeah. You walked out there in front of your hometown <laughs> audience and you just start singing and nothing comes <laughs> out. I'm sitting in out. the upper deck right behind <laughs> Raw Web and I was like, oh no! And you, you had a smile on your face. Yeah. You like made light of the situation and it came on yeah. 15 seconds later and you killed it. Cause it's funny and it's fun. like the lighthearted energy of it too. Like, yeah, it's like, this is supposed to be fun. It's not like, yeah. So that was, that was fun. What funny. was going through your head when that happened in those like five or 10 seconds? Um, I thought it was funny. <laughs> I was like, cause I was like, what's up Milwaukee? <laughs> and like nothing came out. And at first I was like, is that just my like in-ears or the monitor? Is there no sound there? But then I could tell that it wasn't coming out in the theater. But then I was like, and then I was like, I know that the sound guys are freaking out right now because they're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So then I had like empathy for them because I could only imagine how stressed they were. But I was like, okay, it's going to come back on in a second. Like just roll with it. And then I was like, I get so lonely. And it still wasn't on. And I was like, all right, like what's the, what are we doing here? Like, and then I just was like, okay, let's just take a pause. And yeah, just said, okay, we're going to start that over. And I was looking over at the sound guy, like watching him freak out with like wires and stuff. And I could tell that he like just had figured it out. 
and then it came back on. And it, it was just, again, like moments like that are kind of funny, especially because I've never experienced that before. And so now I had the moment where a mic wasn't on and I uh, realized that it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Yeah, you handled that very well. Thank you. Very well. Thank you. Um, before we get to the uh, standard five, five quick questions sponsored by Central Standard, to end the show, I do want to dive a little bit deeper. What, what are you doing right now for your mental health and, and physical health? You look like you're in great shape as well. I think both of those things are really important in, in business life. 100%. Performing. Uh, working out a ton has changed. What do you do? I am a Peloton fan. Um, Tunde is my girl. I love her so much. She's my my coach that I pick. Do you do um, the spinning and the floor workouts? And I do like the spinning in the arms. Yeah. And then I do abs with um, Mad Fit on YouTube. She's also my other girl that I love. And I, yeah, I joined, I got a gym membership because I live in downtown LA, which is kind of like, intense-ish if yeah. you've ever been down there it's a little gnarly but it's I also love it because you can like walk everywhere it kind of reminds me of New York a little bit but um my husband and I got a gym membership and that like changed our life because we had a place to retreat to there's like a sauna and a steam room and and the more I worked out the more that I felt like mentally calm because the one thing about control like I've learned to let go that's where I feel the best mentally but working out, like you actually do have control over that. Like if you want to feel that in somewhere in your life, like you can get on the bike, you can lift weights, like, and you can go into a space for that hour or two hours or whatever and be focusing just on like the physical process of lifting 10 pound weights. And so that and Buddhist you still, you still chanting? I don't chant anymore. <laughs> I, I did Buddhist chanting because I, there was a time like in 2019, 20, yeah, 2019, where I just had gone through some crazy stuff that we'll talk about after the podcast. Um, but I needed, I needed something to like pull me out of that. And it was also kind of the serendipitous thing where I, I Googled like Buddhist stuff. I don't even remember what I did. And like this thing came up on Google Maps and it was like, come join the Buddhist chanting thing in Topanga Canyon. So I was like, okay. So I went to this thing. It was like all these like old hippies living in Topanga Canyon oh, yeah. and they were like Buddhist chanting. And I'm like, all right, this is weird and cool. And, but that was like a moment in my life that was great. And now I just kind of try to, I go to therapy. That's very important for me. I have a great therapist. Nice. Yeah. That's something that like when I'm, when I start going into a place of like overthinking or worrying about all these things, like I'm kind of like, okay, I need to check in with my therapist. And then I, she uh, does a little tune up and we're back. Yeah. No, <laughs> no shame in that. I was in therapy yeah. for a while. I had a really bad panic attack on an airplane like six, seven years ago. And another one like three weeks ago for the first time in a while. I yeah. get bad when planes are stalled. But anyway, I went, I had experienced a lot of anxiety issues I never had after that for the first time and was in therapy for a while and she had me doing exposure therapy and that's when I first got into breath work because I thought it was very weird and far out there before um it's made a huge difference yeah There's a bunch of other healthy habits so panic attacks are I've had panic attacks a lot of them over my life and it's not it, fun <laughs> it's not fun it's very stressful and uh it's scary it's like a very scary feeling and so getting to like work on that with therapist is like life-changing um, to be able to know how to handle those moments for sure. 
Absolutely. All right. On a more lighthearted note, <laughs> we'll move into the standard five All sponsored right. by Central Standard Distillery. Um, this isn't the quickest question, but I'm curious. What, what is your pre and post show routine? What does the day look like? You didn't go on stage till probably nine, eight, eight thirty, mm-hmm. nine mm-hmm. last night. There's a lot of time between when you wake up and in that moment. Um, I wake up usually around like nine or 10 if I can. And then I get in the shower. I do vocal warm ups. You like lip in trill. the shower in the shower. Cause it's like got a nice, like echoey sound. Well, yeah, it's in the shower. <laughs> you know what it sounds like in a shower. Um, and so yeah, I do like my warm ups. They're like lip trills or that type of stuff. And you start getting your vocal cords. I'll warm it up. It's like stretching, it's like stretching your muscles. And then I usually have some tea. I try to just be in a good mindset. I think about how fun it's going to be. I think about the lighthearted aspects of it. And then get to the show. We do sound check. Um, I get dressed. I, I don't like put my outfit on until like an hour before the what show. T- what time do you get there? I got there at two. So we do load in at two. You load yeah. in all the gear and you start checking around like 3, 3.30, 3.30 to 4.30 you get food around like 5.30 and then, yeah, before you know it, it's, I have like a little vocal steamer that I like, it like steams your really voice throat. It's like, it's, it's just from CVS. It's like one of those, like, oh, cool. if you have like a cold, you know, you'd use it, but I use it to like kind of, again, loosen up my vocal cords and, um, yeah, stretch, get ready, get pumped. And also just like, I'm just also in the green room, just like looking at my phone, chilling, like, you know, like there's not there's a lot of just not glamorous moments. You're just laying on the couch and getting ready to go on stage and yeah, but that's kind of the the general process. Yeah, the warm ups. That's that's the biggest thing for me. And then once I get to this the, the green room, then I do more warm ups. I start like singing louder. Like especially when you're touring for long periods of time, like you have to treat your voice like a muscle. Like you need to prepare it to go through you know, a show so that then you can sing the next day too. Yeah. I've been curious, what, what percentage of artists drink or smoke before going on? Um, a lot. And probably not smoke, like singers probably don't smoke that much. Um, I used to drink before every show. Like I used to have beer because I was too afraid what like hard, like I didn't want to be drunk on stage, but I kind of wanted to take the edge off. Interesting. But I stopped so it helped me feel like looser on stage. Did you have like a couple beers where yeah, you're, tr- you're kind of hitting that perfect yeah, alcohol level, exactly. not over the top? Not, I would kind of plan okay. it. I'd have like one before stage and then I'd have one on stage so that I kind of knew like how loose I was going to be. But then I stopped doing that um, because I realized again, like I want to see what it's like to be totally in the moment, you know, and, and not have to need something to loosen up. And at first it was like terrifying I was very aware of like every mistake that I was making I actually started this was like a year ago I started doing the like checking thing again where I was like was that good because I was so present like when I would drink afterwards I'd be kind of like free and I'm like "Ah, that was fun whatever and so it was a good practice of like okay let me let me get over needing to need something to feel free like because now I feel like I don't need anything to get like in the zone and feel really relaxed on stage. And that is such a freeing feeling of like, 
And now, like, even socially, like, I don't feel like I need to drink as much. And that also makes me feel more confident. And, yeah, so not to say that I don't think alcohol is awesome. <laughs> to the sponsor. But, yeah, no. Central I'm not, Standard, I, I am having some of their gin right now. I, I'm like, I was slightly, and... I was sli- slightly hungover today since because of you, I went to your show last yeah, night. I usually fault. don't go out during the week, so Sorry, I'm, okay. I'm having a uh, drink to be lively on the show to try and hit that level but But yeah we have a bottle (laughs) of tequila in the green room the band usually takes a shot before like it's it's definitely a thing yeah yeah um what is the single coolest moment of your career um single coolest moment oh my god singing the national anthem at the packers game a playoffs game in january uh it was 20 20 when was that 2021 a year ago. That was only a year ago. Gosh. Raw Webb knows exactly when it Raw, was. Well, so he came. It was so cool because, first of all, it, it was, was the a, game they lost. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was a bad game. Yeah, it was. Lil Wayne was there. I got to meet him. No he was way. in the box, like right next to us. It was so cool. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that was just so fun. Like to get to sing at this middle of Lambeau Field for a Packers game. And like my dad, you know, got to be on the. Um, the home field, what's it called? The field? Sideline. Sidelines, Side thank line. you. Like, what's it called? The sidelines, you know, Dane was there. Like, it was just so cool. And then to, like, nail it, you know, in this big setting. And I actually practiced in a freezer, in a walk-in freezer, because I wasn't sure what it was going to be like to sing in, like, freezing temperatures. Cold exposure is good for you. I yeah. got into that last spring. Yeah, it's great. It's very refreshing. Yeah, so go stand in the middle of Lambeau Field uh, when it's 10 degrees and you'll feel very alive afterwards if i remember correctly raw web you may remember this as well i think they scored a touchdown on their first drive yeah they did and did not score after that probably that inspired correct. by grace weber yeah. and then the rest was kind of the downfall yeah, there rogers like, um yeah before he made it to new york but yeah yeah that was a good that was a great five minutes in packer history uh, between your national anthem and the first drive right there yeah especially because the drive was inspired by me what is the most starstruck you've ever been? Mm. Um, Chad Smith, Red Hot Chili Peppers. He was friends or is friends with someone I worked with. And so I got to like stay at his house and like become friends with him, which is really cool. And I got to like be side stage when he was playing um, in South America when I was touring with Chance. And I got to go hang with like Chad Smith, the drummer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is cool. Um, that chance was has like a very, you know, magnetic star quality. So when he walked in the room for the first time, I was like, whoa, chance is very like um, buzzy. But yeah, I think those, Guillermo del Toro is a fan, the filmmaker. That's cool. I haven't met him, but he like followed me on Twitter. And I was like, hey, <laughs> Guillermo, <laughs> you know, maker of Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. And he was like, I'm such a fan of your music. Like the light singer, songwriter, soulful person. It's cool to get those random messages. I'm sure you've gotten several over your career. Didn't I was um, listening to something else. Didn't Dwight Howard like reach out to you and come mm-hmm. to your show? Mm-hmm. Which would be very hard to miss as he's just a jacked so seven foot one guy. Yeah, I like I think I when I gave him like a hug, I was up to his like hip. But yeah, probably. So you're not random. that short either. Oh, I'm pretty five two. Are you only five two? People think I'm tall. It's weird. Maybe it's, it's the stage presence. I guess you so. you play above that. Yeah. I'm I play six two, but I'm really oh, yeah. <laughs> more than five two. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, what is the craziest thing that's ever happened to you on tour? Hmm. Craziest thing that's ever happened to me on tour. Um, I'm trying to think of like some of the like um when I was well, I'll say when the mic didn't go on last night. Just kidding, not really. But I have never experienced that. But um when I was touring, so I sang backgrounds for Chance in South America, and when he was doing the Lollapalooza tour, and there was a show in Sao Paulo, San Paulo, San Paulo. I can't think of things today. Um, and there was like two hundred thousand people in this like festival setting because he was opening for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and so him plus them, like I've never stood in front of that many people, and witnessing like the intimate moments where it felt like we were in like a cafe was incredible and it was one of those moments that I'll never forget of just like the power of music connecting with and touching like 200,000 people it was nuts yeah yeah that's crazy it was awesome um what's your favorite place to go to when you're back home in Milwaukee mm, um Gillies Gillies ice cream Nice. Yeah. I'm the biggest fan of their custard, burgers, fries. Um, I like I actually haven't gotten any ice cream yet. Or custard. That's very important. Custard. Uh you got a few more days yeah. here. I know. Oh yeah, it's definitely happening. Like I literally can't leave without having a Gillies cone. So yeah, that but you know, my parents' house, all those special places. In Tosa. Yeah. Tosa, represent. Yep. Um, last question. What do you love most about Milwaukee? Um, I love the energy here. I love, like, the kindness of people. I love um, just, like, yeah, like, how warm it feels here. I love. I was getting, you know, a beer last night with my friend from high school, and it just felt like, you know, we haven't seen each other in, like, a year or so, and it just felt like we saw each other yesterday. And I feel like that's what's so cool about Milwaukee is that you can really form these like lifelong friendships. There's so many things here that you can connect over, like the Packers or, you know, cheese, like these things that don't seem that like monumental, but then they are because they're so like bonding in, in a weird way that um, makes you feel like very close to, to people. There's, there's like a pride, like a Milwaukee, Wisconsin pride that I, I think is really cool. For sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on today. It was great meeting you. Thanks for having me on. This was awesome. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Milwaukee Uncut with Grace Weber. Just a reminder, subscribe and write a review and leave your email or Instagram handle at the end of that review to enter our weekly drawing. We've got some really nice Milwaukee Uncut hats and some other prizes coming in. So if you do subscribe and leave a review, we'll be picking one person a week as a winner. This episode was produced by Storymark Studios right in the heart of Walker's Point in partnership with On Milwaukee and sponsored by Central Standard Distillery and Nicolet Law Offices.